Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Talk Nerdy to Me Radio, the book and television edition. It is Thursday, June 3rd, 2021. I'm Megan, and I'm here with Kristen. What's up, Kristen? Hey, how's it going? It's going. It's summer for me. I'm excited. It's June. Let's get the party started. I know. It's summer. Mm-hmm. It's definitely getting hot. A um, couple of things. So <laughs> we had to move the show to today because of computer demon issues. Um, and then my mom, because I mentioned I was doing the show today, she made plans for Tuesday thinking I did my show on Thursday. So it, the show will also be on Thursday next week <laughs> because of miscommunication. Um that is the the joy of summer right there. It's just miscommunication. Awesome. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> All right. We have an amazing show. I am so excited. Yes. I can talk hours yes. about our main topic, and that is Harry Potter. So we're doing a Harry Potter Potter series over the next seven shows. Um, we're going to be yes. focusing on each individual book of the Harry Potter series. So we're starting with Sorcerer's Stone today. Um, we're going to be doing some discussion questions. We'll talk about some of our favorite characters and scenes um, from the first book that started the franchise off. Um, we'll maybe talk a little bit about movie comparisons. So it's going to be a really, really good discussion, um, and we're super stoked about it. And we have some news in the TV world and also some book recommendations for you. So it's going to be a pretty jam-packed show. Are you ready for it, Kristen? So ready. Yeah. All right. So for entertainment news, we got a couple of TV updates and a movie update. Um, Kristen, are you a fan of Indiana Jones? Okay, so I am, but I'm very opinionated. I loved Indiana Jones. I grew up in a house with my dad and my brother, and so I watched all the boy things, you know, all the quote-unquote boy things. Indiana Jones, Star Wars, Star Trek, like adventure action movies, like Rambos and all that. Big fan of Harrison Ford and Indiana Jones. The one with Shia LaBeouf, is that who was in it? The more more recent ones. Uh, Trash. Mm -hmm. Trash. That one was trash. I agree. That was like a really it. bad one. So, so I'm that's a why this, nervous that they're trying it again. <laughs> this is why this is I feel you 100% because I'm also a little bit like I'm excited but also not at the same time terrified. Um, the Indiana Jones, the new movie, the 
the project name has not been released. Everything's being really super secretive um, when it comes to this movie. So I don't know too much about it, um, except for um, we know a release date. So they're planning to release it in summer of 2022, so next year. Um, and that they just started filming. They're going to just start filming it um, next week. So it's under the way. Um, obviously, Harrison Ford is back as the title character um, because no one else can play him. That would be a travesty. Um, as well as Mads, Mil- Mads Mikkelsen, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Boyd Holbrook, um, and some others as well who are attached to the film. As for who these characters are, what the plot is going to be, um, that's all very secretive at this point. So just know there is another Indiana Jones coming your way. How do I feel about that? And it may or may not be a Never. <laughs> tuned, kids. Um, another uh, piece of news. Um, okay, so Kristen, you, did you enjoy Black Panther? Mm-hmm. I forgot if you're. Into I the Marvel love. I love the Marvel Marvel movies, and Black Panther was like one of my favorites. I saw it in D box, so like the chair moves and like vibrates yeah. when people like fight. So it was pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when I got this news, I was super excited. So Disney Plus um, is, of course, doing these Marvel TV shows, and they're actually super good. Um, I really enjoyed the two that have come out. Um, Loki is going to be released, in a, I think, next week sometime. Um, and they just announced that they're going to have a Black Panther TV series um, that is going to be centered around um, the amazing actress, Danae Guerrera. Um, character um, Okoye, um, who's that amazing badass women woman warrior of Black Panther. Um, as for more details than that, not given. Um, but th- there's a concept. People are being cast. Is she start, starring? Uh, she is going to be the is one of the main characters. Yes. yes. Okay. So because my my issue with these movies being made into TV shows. For more info, like Marvel's good about it. They don't recast people unless absolutely necessary. Yeah. Like their big movie stars are in their TV shows. DC, yeah. not so much. They like to recast people, and it makes me really, really angry. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't know why, but Marvel's been doing really oh, good, I've, so I have high hopes for that. For sure, and part of the reason why they're not going to recast anything is because Marvel – Studios is kind of like that evil mastermind. They're like the Apple company of movies. So they're trying to make people watch the TV shows um, because the TV shows have an important role to understanding the movies. So if you don't watch, like, it's like you have to kind of, like, the the, the Wanda vision is is gearing up to the movies that we're going to be seeing. So they're kind of codependent. You have to watch the series to really understand the power of the yeah. series, and they're really good. So, and they're they have the people. So it's it's I'm happy. There might be some people yeah. who are like, man, Do now it. I need to get Disney Plus. <laughs> um, good. The other one is, you won't regret your choices. <laughs> the other another news is from Netflix. Um, Jupiter Legacy was something that was talked about. Um, it was released. It seemed to be doing okay um, in terms of, like, popularity. But then Netflix just quickly just said, no more. We're done with this. 
stupid. <laughs> so, I've never heard of one of the people. There was there was much talk about it. Like like this is gonna be like the best special effects ever. Released it and apparently Netflix is like okay, it's not it's not worth how much we spent on it. So it's no longer going to be a thing. So first season. That's terrible. Done. Completely. Yeah. So. That's, um, that's some entertainment news for you. So let's talk about TV shows of the moment. So, Kristen, what are you watching? All right, so I have a few. So one is old but with new episodes. So I found it is Murder in the Heartland. It's an ID channel true crime documentary style show. It talks about people in small towns um, who experienced murders. So, like, I'm talking small towns like Midwest. A lot of them are in the Midwest. There's a few in, like, small-town California. You know, when you think California, you automatically think big towns, but there's a lot of farming communities and stuff in the north side of California. Um, and so, as Megan would know, because, you know, you live north, right? Yes. Or did? Okay. Um, uh, so I still consider this northern California. Okay. Yeah. Um, anything north of, like, Los Angeles, I consider Northern California. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so it it just follows small town, like, 1,500 people, 5,000 people, towns that experience, like, a really crazy murder for a town that size. And I just really like it because, one, I like true crime. Um, and it walks through, like, how they solved it and, like, who they interviewed. And it's got people, part of the family and such. Um, so it's a really good documentary, and there there's new episodes. Like a new episode just came out recently. I'm not caught up yet. There's like three seasons. I'm on the third season, but I'm just not caught up to it. Watch that, and then I just finished season one of HBO Max's new show, Mayor of Easttown, with Kate Winslet, and it is fantastic. If you haven't watched it, watch it. It's gritty. It reminds me very much of like British crime dramas. Mm-hmm. Like, the entire cast isn't, like, dressed to the nines all the time and looking perfect, and they're, like, gorgeous and have the perfect life. Like, you would think Kate Winslet was homeless in most of the ep- most of this episodes. Um, like, I'm like, they had to have put makeup. Like, she doesn't look that rough normally, I would imagine. Um, but right. it's really good, gritty is not happy. It does not make you feel happy. It's about a murder, of course. Um, and she's a detective in a small town. And you have to watch it because it's really good. Yeah, I saw previews of it, and it did look really good. I haven't seen it, but it, it just amazes me it's how... It's like seven or eight episodes. So it's, it's yeah, there's like a, a serial, so, which is very British yeah. in, in format. But it just amazes yeah. me how television caliber has changed so much and that we're able to get actors like Kate Winslet who has won Oscars and has done like amazing like like crazy cinematic history movies is in a TV show like that's not, that's how different the you... TV world is now yeah like that's the thing I'm like remember when like um you know like people used to come on TV to get big enough so that they could get the big movies. Well, now it's like all those big stars want a little bit of like normalcy. So they want to like a TV show means they can chill. 
Yeah, and like make really good TV, and that's that's kind of where we are in the golden age of TV. Um, as for me, um, I've been spending most of my time deciding to rewatch the original Law and Order TV series. Um, so that's what I've been doing, and it's really fun because it's uh, obviously it's like really early '90s, so every guest star is like all the famous people we know now except for, like, they're super young. They're like, oh, that's what that guy looks like with hair. <laughs> or, like, you know, like, like <laughs> you recognize everyone, um, but they're super young, um, and I'm really enjoying that. The second one yeah. is a warning show, so meaning this is a show that I don't Uh-oh. think you should watch. It's rare, but sometimes important. Um, so I watched The Fate, The Wink Saga, um, which is, based on a animated show um, that I never watched. And some people are like super into it. I, and it's about basically fairies that have magical powers in this world that is in conflict. Oh. Um, I, the premise was, was okay. Um, the casting was okay. The thing that I didn't like about it is it's just very melodramatic and the characters were stupid and I spent most of the time watching that season just being like, you guys are so stupid. (laughs) And if I have to constantly say that about characters in a TV show, I stop enjoying it because I don't want, like, it's okay to have like one stupid character, but when everyone is just doing stupid things, it just, it just doesn't, it's just not fun. So is this a cartoon? No, it's a live action. It's based on an animated show. I was though. gonna say I've seen Winks from when my daughter was young. Mhm. So basically, Weird. they took the thing that you're what your daughter watched, and they made it into a melodramatic teen live action show. That's a terrible thought. Don't do that. Stop it. Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> stop it. Just stop. So That's a terrible idea. Like, just because Disney is so, remaking things into live action, it does not mean everything should be live action. No, some things, some things don't work that way. And also changing the tone. No. Of it. I felt this way about Riverdale. Like if you're if you're taking a comic strip and making it into a TV show, then stay true to the spirit and tone of the comic strip. Don't make it about like teenagers that own like speakeasies and join cults and stuff. Like. <laughs> Same thing with this. Right? The, the whole conversation has about a this. Story and a tone. But then when you take that and you turn that into like a really stupid, melodramatic, sexy, like weird thing, it just doesn't it doesn't land well. So that is my warning to you guys. If this was on your list of things to watch, maybe postpone it or delete it because it was not enjoyable in my personal opinion. So just just That's looking out sad. for you, really. Just looking out. <laughs> Good recommendation. But I finished, Good job. I finished it because I'm a big believer that if I'm going to hate on something publicly, I have to see the whole thing. So, so do you do that with books? Because I, I have a 30% I, rule. Like, if I get 30% and your book is making me real mad, like, I can't finish it because I'm that bored, you're getting a bad review. Sorry, and I'm not finishing it. <laughs> I don't usually do that with books. The only book series that I pushed through that I despised every inch of was Twilight. What? And that was because I... It's horrible. (laughs) But anyway, that's a different show. 
It's a different show. Book <laughs> is Megan's hate. <laughs> hate on Twilight. So, so, Kristen, what's going on with the New York bestsellers for fiction? Uh, all right, bestsellers. So, fiction, a little bit of shakeup. We got quite a few new in the last couple of weeks. Um, at fifth, there's 21st Birthday by James Patterson and Maxine P- Pietro. Pietro? Um, it's the 21st book in the Women's Murder Club series. And new evidence changes the investigation of a missing murder. Sounds like my jam right there. Um, and then mm-hmm. keeping its comeback alive is Where the Crawdads Sing by Delia Owens at number four. Um, that's been the best hour for 131 weeks. So go her. Um, and it's about a quiet North Carolina town um, in 1969. A young woman lives in the marsh by herself, but she becomes a murder suspect. Um, and then... Uh, number three, we got Project Hail Mary by Andy. I think I was supposed to say Andy Weir. <laughs> um, and it's Riley and Grace so awake from a long sleep alone and far from home, and the fate of humanity rests on his shoulders. Sounds intense and stressful. Um, and then we got Suli by John Grisham, and Samuel Suleiman received a basketball scholarship to North Carolina Central and determined to bring his family over from a Civil War-ravaged South Sudan. So that sounds cool. Um, and then okay. in first we have, right, it sounds very, like, political. I'm in. Um, so the last one in first place, the last thing he told me by Laura Dave, um, Hannah Hall discovers truth about her missing husband and bonds with his daughter from a previous relationship. So don't know what that's about, but i probably read it because it's a book. Because it's a book. <laughs> it's a book. It's cool. I'm pretty open. Come across her. It made the top. It made top it. five. Like, come on, it's got to be decent. <laughs> the the synopsis doesn't sound too exciting though. So there has I know, to be something to like, it. What about? I know there's got to be a bigger synopsis somewhere. I've I've got to find. Because it, the synopsis is like I don't really care about this daughter from the previous relationship. <laughs> Right, like, that's fun. Okay. <laughs> All right. As for the nonfiction world, um, let's, let's see what's on. Let's see what's on the consciousness of America, because that's what I'm starting to realize is that the nonfiction New York Times is basically what are the anxieties of the United States. <laughs> so number yeah, five definitely. is What Happened to You by Bruce D. Perry and Oprah Winfrey. It's been on for four weeks. Um, which is an approach of dealing with trauma that shifts an essential question used to investigate it. There's so much that's going on with trauma, um, new information about the brain and how it responds to trauma. So super interesting to learn more about that. And Oprah is taking part in this conversation, which is really interesting. Number four is Noise by Daniel Kimmen, um, Oliver Sibney, and Cass R. Sunstein. This is new to the list. Um, it's what might cause variability in judgments that should be identical and potential ways to remedy this. Interesting. Um, especially when you when you think of like policing and judging and like it that does raise a lot of really interesting questions. Um, number three um, is Killing the Mob by Bill O'Reilly and Martin Dugard. It's been on for three weeks. This is the tenth book in the Conservative Commentators Killing series look at organized crime in the United States during the 20th century. 
Number two is Zero Fail by Carol Linning. This is new to the list. Um, The three-time Pulitzer Prize winner brings to light the secret scandals and shortcomings of the Secret Service. That sounds fun. There's so much about the Secret Service that I don't know about, and they're so close to power. (laughs) I want to know more. I am so curious about this now. And number one is Anthropocene, reviewed by John Green. Um, New to the list, John Green mostly writes fiction books, like A Fault in the Stars and things that have been made into movies, like Looking for Alaska. Um, But he has written a nonfiction book, which is a collection of personal essays that review different facets of the human-centered planet, Um, which also I'm curious to know what John Green writes like in a nonfiction manner. So I might check that out as well. Um, Yeah, a lot of things about trauma in the brain, which I think is interesting. And, of course, it's super traumatized. We do, (laughs) as a planet. (laughs) <laughs> right there all the time. There's a planet we're traumatized. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 100. All right. So what are some new releases coming our way? So I only listed one because I feel like we have so much to talk about usually that if I try to announce too many, there's too much. But this one I recently read. Um, it's fantastic. And I've read uh, Mary Kubica's books before. I don't know if that's how you say her name. It's Kubica. Kubica. Something like that. But I've read her books before. Um, and her last book, I gave it a three out of five stars. So it wasn't my favorite. It was okay. I was fine with it. You know, it just wasn't outstanding to me. So I was a little hesitant, but this one sounded good. It says, people don't just disappear without a trace. Shelby Tebow is the first to go missing. Not long after Meredith, Vicky, and her six-year-old daughter, Delilah, vanished just blocks away from where Shelby was last seen, striking fear into their once peaceful community. Are these incidences connected, incidents connected after an elusive search that yields more questions than answers, the case eventually goes cold. Now, 11 years later, Delilah shockingly returns. Everyone wants to know what happened to her, but no one is prepared for what they'll find. In this smart and chilling thriller, Master of Suspense and New York Times bestselling author uh, Mary Kubica takes domestic secrets to a whole new level. Um, so this book was fantastic because literally at the end when the stuff like it clicked what was going to happen I was like no like I was so scandalized that I was like I can't believe she tricked me like I I never guessed the ending um and there's Mm. so many twists and turns and you jump between certain characters um and I think that's what helped hide who the bad guy was um, and I say guy lightly, don't think I'm talking about a man necessarily, like just bad person. Okay. I had somebody tell me that when I said bad guy, I gave away that it was a man. And I was like, really? So the bad person, uh, it's just a really good mystery suspense. Um, there's not, there's not a lot of gore or anything. So you don't have to worry about that. If you don't like that, it's just a good mystery no- novel minus gore. So no gore for you. Check it out. That does sound interesting. And that just, yeah, and it just came out, so brand new. Very cool. Um, any other yeah. book recommendations? My book recommendation, so that was my new release recommendation. This one, I, this one's an older book. I recommended her most recent book, I think the last time we talked about books, 
And it's The Lost Girls of Paris by Pam Jenoff. I just read um, The Girl with the Blue Star. No, The Blue. Yeah, The Girl with the Blue Star. I read that book, and that was her newest release, and it was fantastic. And our book club was reading The Lost Girls of Paris at the same time. So I just finished it. It's amazing. Um, It's about World War II, but it's not a typical war story. Like, you, you... it flashes between past and now, and it's about a woman who finds a suitcase in Grand Central Station in New York, um, and she opens it to see if she can figure out who it belongs to, and there's an envelope filled with women's pictures. And she's trying to figure out who they are, and so she goes on this mini-investigation um, to try to figure out who they are. And in the meantime, we're, we're hearing the story of these girls at the same time um and there's a little mystery along the way and at the end you find out what happened to people and what some people you never find out what happened about but it was just a really it was sad but it was like a different spin on a world war ii book like it wasn't just the typical like you're either in the war you're the people waiting at home it was kind of both sides of it that is about the secret women in world war ii yeah I like the that's my the I'm into this thing right now story. where yeah I'm I'm really into like this thing about like I I have like three more World War Two books I'm waiting to read about the women who basically were in combat in certain different ways that we don't really hear about right. because it, they weren't really supposed to be there yeah for sure yeah that sounds really super interesting okay. um, and, and I have a book recommendation. This week, I do, and this is actually, uh, I don't remember what podcast this was, but Kristen and I said I would recommend her a nonfiction book, and then she would recommend me a fiction book, and we'll read and kind of report back. Well, Kristen, this is the one that I'm going to recommend for you. (laughs) Um, It's called Cast, The Origins of Our Discontents by Isabel Wilkerson. Um, this was on the New York bestsellers for a, a, a little bit, for at least for several weeks. Um, I yeah, this was on my list to read uh, for a very, very long time, and I finally got around to read it. And it is probably a book that I hope was sorry for the loud motorcycle or whatever that was. <laughs> um, <laughs> that I really, really hope everyone reads because I think it's incredibly important to understanding the culture of the United States and how race works in the United States. Um, and the premise is that we don't have a class system in the United States. We have a caste system. Now, what is the difference between a class and a caste system? A class system is it's really easy for you to move up and down. It's usually based on inco- income. If you get college and all that, you can move up. Caste is more permanent, and the system kind of works against you. So if you're in the lowest caste, it the caste system is meant to keep you there. And if you are of the highest income, that caste system is meant to keep you there. Um, and so it's a different take because usually when we think about the United States, we don't like to think of ourselves as a caste system. Um, but the book says we are a racial caste system and it compares um, policies of the United States when it comes to race 
um, compared to India, who is probably the best well-known caste system to exist and one of the oldest caste systems in the world, and also Germany um, during um, the Nazis' reign and their systematic um, casting away of, of Jewish people or the people that they viewed were, were not Aryan. And one of the most disturbing things that I learned from this book is that the Nazis looked at the Southern Black Codes and Jim Crow laws to use in order to do what they did in Germany against the Jewish people. They were looking to the United States for direction. And I kind of knew that on some level, but to have it like kind of like laid out in like transcripts of Nazi conversations talking about the United States and what they did to blacks really made you realize, wow, okay, um, we played a part in that. And um, we really need to look at our systems and really be honest about ourselves. So it's a really powerful book. Um, it is definitely not going to make you feel happy, Kristen. <laughs> um, but <laughs> it will teach you a lot of things. And it's written in a very um, accessible um, and intriguing way through story, um, which is the best way that nonfiction books can communicate. So. Um, I'm definitely curious to know what you think um, as you read it, but I, I, I think right. it's probably one of my favorites. I'll put it on my list. Yeah. I'll put it on my list for 2021. Yeah, and then you need to give me a recommendation so I can start working on that. I know. i got to come up with one. It will probably be like a historical fiction because I don't want to give you like a romantic comedy. I feel like you'd hate it. <laughs> it doesn't seem like you're coming to me, so i got to find one that I'm True. like, this was a really, really good story. So, like, you know what? You should read Nora Roberts. I will just walk away. <laughs> Have you read uh, Where the Crawdads Sing? Because I might make you read that. We'll see. Some, that's one of my favorite books of all time. I actually haven't. <laughs> Maybe I'll challenge you to that because you should because it's really good. 131 weeks on the New York Times okay. bestseller list. What are you waiting we'll, for? We'll do this. I know. We'll do this. So you do cash, okay. and I'll do that one. Done deal. All right. Sounds good. Done. Okay. What's going on in the book club? All right. So as everyone knows, we're over on book clubs now. It's with a Z, not an S, book clubs. Um, and you can just look us up, just one more chapter book club. It's a purple and white logo, easy to find. Um, and uh, you can also go to Facebook, same search method and uh, find us there and then you'll find the links over to a book club but we just finished um the lost girls of paris um by pam jenoff and we're starting our june book which is a whole new world by liz braswell it is a disney twisted tale it's our first one like this i'm very excited so it's basically they take this typical disney story of a whole which is aladdin but they give a twist to see and this one is, what if Jafar was the first one to summon the genie? When Jafar steals the genie's lamp, he uses his first two wishes to become sultan and the most powerful sorcerer in the world. Agrabah lives in fear, waiting for his third and final wish to, to, to stop the, mad, the power-mad ruler. Aladdin and the deposed princess Jasmine must unite the people of Agrabah in rebellion, but soon their fight for freedom threatens to tear the kingdom apart in a costly civil war. What happens next? A street rat becomes a leader, a princess becomes a revolutionary, and readers will never look their story at Aladdin the same way again. 
So I've heard good things. Some of That's our readers have already started and are reporting back, and I'm excited. I have not started it yet. That sounds super cool. So definitely, I know. Um, if you're into Disney. Yeah, and they're all, there's a whole series of them. Um, they're all by all different That's writers. Disney has, I guess, worked with a bunch of people to write all the different ones. So it's really, it's going to be really interesting. Very cool. All right. Well, check that out. Book, book clubs with a Z um, or search from just one more chapter uh, book club on Facebook so that you can get in on the action and participate in the conversations um, about this new way of looking at one of our classic Disney movies. Yeah. And now we get to talk about my favorite book of all time. Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, which was released, which, by the way, this made made me realize how Harry Potter is actually really old now. (laughs) It was released on June 26, (laughs) 1997. I was, like, almost 10. I was about to turn 10. I was 12. Yeah, when you had been in Hogwarts. I was 11, just kidding. Man. I like you would have been in Hogwarts. I had to wait still. That sucks. <laughs> you would have been Jenny bad. waiting and watching her brothers go off to school. I basically. Um, so yeah, it ha- it would be so long time ago. Um, but it's still incredibly relevant today. The new generations are reading it. It's well loved. It's a series that transcends time. It's great. And the first book is the where it all starts and where it all begins. Now, we have some discussion questions, and then, of course, me and Kristen will talk about some of our favorite book scenes and characters. And we're really looking at not mm-hmm. overall, so meaning when we say our favorite character in this podcast, we're not talking about, like, our favorite character of the entire series. We're talking about, like, the character we felt brought the most value to this specific book. Um, so we're really kind of just tearing it apart one book at a time so that we can kind of deep dive into each book and give each book um, its chance to shine um, in their own ways. So just want to give a warning there. Another warning is yeah. you will be spoiled. So um, if you have not read Harry Potter and the Searcher's Stone, go read it. Stop listening and go book. read the dang book. And then come back in and listen to us because it, it was released in 1997, so it is not protected from spoilers anymore. <laughs> um, so yeah, and definitely. we are the the queens of Harry Potter, so just so you know, come back and listen because we know everything. Yes, I'm sure. We're basically we're basically J.K. Rowling, but not basically, yeah, exactly. Um, so one of the things that I always found crazy is that, of course, we know it in the United States as Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, but in the United Kingdom and most of the rest of the world, they know it as Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, which is an actual thing. Like, there's actually a Philosopher's Stone that, ha- that is based off of a real legend that does turn base metals into gold and silver and has properties to make you eternal, right, which is where she got the idea of the Philosopher's Stone to begin with. But in the United States, they were like, no, we don't want to do Philosopher's Stone, which is a real thing. We're going to create a name of a thing that doesn't actually exist called the Sorcerer's Stone and do that instead. And my question is, Way why in the world idea. could we not handle <laughs> Why could we not American handle Philosopher's Stone? 
Because Americans are entitled, <laughs> needy people. That's what it comes down to. Y'all are entitled and needy. Heaven forbid you have the same thing as the rest of the world. Stop it. I believe that the main, like, the official reason was that Scholastic, which is the publisher in the United States for Harry Potter, believed that the word Philosopher's Stone would not capture American children's imagination. And so they went with Sorcerer, which sounds cooler, according to American children. I don't think that would have been. That would have stopped me, but I am, of course, not every child in the United States. But it's always bugged me. In fairness, I didn't read them until my 20s, so it didn't matter either way. <laughs> I didn't read them until later either. But why can't we do Philosopher's Stone? Honestly. Shaking my head at you, America. No, we can. <laughs> um, so, so for you UK people... I'm I'm going to use Philosopher's Stone from now on. <laughs> so we are talking about the Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. So let's start with the beginning. Um, at the beginning, of course, Harry Potter, this character um, that we all know, um, is a baby, and he's dropped off with the Dursleys um, to live because his parents were killed in a horrible incident. And the Dursleys, how would you describe the Dursleys? Christmas. Terrible. But can I just tell you my first impression? I recently, and we'll talk a little bit about this later. I've I recently, I'm going through all the books audio version, which I've never done before. And I've read the books multiple times each. So I'm doing the audio version when I like drive to work and such. And um, the first moment you see Aunt Petunia is she opens yeah. the front door to find Harry. And I got really confused. I had to, like, Google when this book was released and then Google a bunch of other stuff because it said she found him when she opened the door to put out her milk jars. And I was like, wait a minute. When are we living? Like, is this in the 50s? Did I miss something? And I had to go back, and apparently the U.K. still has areas that put their milk on the porch, and the milk stand drops new bottles off. Yeah, it's a thing. It's a it's a thing in the UK. Yeah. So that was my first impression this time around. Was what (laughs) what happened? I don't understand. But overall, they're just really snotty, terribly mean people. Like they're just not nice. They are super mean and horrible. Um, and I think that begs the question, because obviously we know because of later books that that Harry's mother, Lily, was a, was a, a witch. She's a muggle-born, so from a non-magical family. Um, and Petunia is her sister, and she's murdered by, you know, and uh, Lily, was, L- Lily, along with her husband, James, was murdered by Voldemort. But why do you think they're so mean and horrible? Like, what is the motivation behind that? What do you think? So it's hard to say this because if you continue on in the books, you kind of find out. So it's, I feel like I'm a little biased because I already know. But there, the whole family from the start is, um, like, in this when he starts getting letters by Owl, which is obviously very weird to humans, normal muggles. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he's they seem like offended and like 
embarrassed almost like they don't want the neighbors to see and yeah I, I just think it's that they think that's just crazy like it you're mm-hmm. you're evil almost in a sense that's the vibe I would get if I didn't like without trying to set aside what I already know like that's how I would take it if I was oh, here wondering why they hated me so much you can definitely use what what you know for these kind of psychological um, questions. But, yes, they definitely have a feeling that magic is bad. That's not something that we want to to live with because they want to be seen as normal um, and have a normal reputation and a normal life. Um, It kind of reminds me, like, in terms of, like, their reactions to things, it kind of reminds me of, like, evangelical like really conservative religious people and kind of their viewpoints on people who are LGBTQ, like their reactions of like, we don't talk about it, like, you know, or like we're going to, you know, like it just that, that overreaction, that overprotectiveness because they're scared of something or they're ignorant of something. It it, it definitely seems definitely on, on Mr. Dursley's level anyway. Oh, yeah, and I definitely, I agree. I feel like it's like you said, you know, they want to be normal because if they admit that there's this big, wonderful world of magic where, like, Harry could cook dinner without touching a spoon or, you know, he could, mm-hmm. he doesn't have to lift the suitcase, he could float the suitcase, you know, things like that where it would, like, make life so much easier, then they have to admit that they're inferior, and, yeah. Like they're not as good as the rest, and I think that like that does not set well, especially with Mister Dursley. Yeah, for sure. And Mister Dursley's, I think, motivations definitely come from from that, like a deep insecurity um, of right. not un, of 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 losing control of situations. And then, of course, with Petunia, um, is the complicated relationship with her sister and how she is magical and so she was treated special and she wanted to be special and there's some jealousy there. Um, yeah, so that kind of gives you the context of this. But to me, what I think is great about these books is that they are, yes, they are, they are kid, young adult, coming-of-age stories, but there's real psychology and real politics that are within these books. Um, and so when you look at something as simple as, like, Dursleys, why are they mean? They're not mean to be mean. There's things that are going on with those characters. It doesn't excuse it and doesn't make it right, but there's a but reason it. behind their motivation. Yes. Um, because everything does have an explanation. doesn't mean that we can't not like Absolutely. them. Absolutely. It's no different than talking about... Yeah, it's no different than talking about, like, a serial killer. Well, why do you do it? Well, why does it matter? He killed a bunch of people. Well, it matters because we need to understand the, the 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 brain pattern of people and like why thing why there's always a why whether we figure it out or not is okay. not the point. There's always a why, and so there is a reason why. Um, it doesn't negate that they're terrible, but now we might know like why does someone abuse? Well, maybe they were abused. Does that ex- just excuse it? Nope, but it it explains mm-hmm. it. Yeah. That's how you stop a pattern. For sure. And then, of course, you know, then Harry's psychology comes into play, right? Because his experiences with the Dursleys, which is basically, um, to not sugarcoat it, child abuse, (laughs) Um, neglect in particular. 
Um, yeah. You know, being forced to sleep underneath the stairs, not getting enough food for his growing body, wearing things that don't fit him, verbally abusing him. All those things are things that no child should ever have to experience. Um, so how did how do you think his time, Harry's time with the Dursleys and him being, of course, an orphan, right? His parents have passed passed away. How do you think that impacts him as a character? And again, for these kinds of questions, you can you can bring in all aspects of, of the book. So I really think that if nothing had changed and Harry had continued to grow up, at some point he would have acted out. He would have also probably struggled as an adult because of the way he was treated um, and not really taught the basics of life. Um, you know, probably had really bad self-esteem and such. And, I mean, might have turned out to be just as mean and abusive. We won't know. I think a big part, I think, um, I think nature has a part like just like mental health can be passed down, can be hereditary. Mm-hmm. I think good, sure. strong emotional health can also be passed down. Um, but I, I am a firm believer in the nurture part. And so I think if he had stuck around, he had a very like negative, depressed viewpoint before he went off to um, to Hogwarts. And I really yeah. think that when he got there and there were so many people who were like, you're not – trash you don't belong in a cabinet a cupboard under the stairs um you don't you deserve to have these great meals you deserve to have a good education you deserve to have friends these people care about you i think that really turned that changed it because he could have went a completely different way if nothing had changed yeah for sure agreed and i think uh to go back i think everyone kind of there's different reactions to things so there's some people who can go through that kind of horrible child experience and kind of use it to be like, I don't want to be around people like that. I don't want to be that way myself. And they kind of go out of their way to exactly. be extra helpful or extra kind and maybe have toxic things with that because maybe they take that too far. Um, or they they follow in the footsteps and get stuck in the cycle. Um and I think for Harry, going through that experience, I think, made him kind. I think that Harry does have a personality he that the feeling. be. Yeah. And I think Harry has a personality that could be arrogant. Like, you know, kind of like with, kind oh, yeah. of the way that James was as a, as a, as a teenager. Um, but I think because mm-hmm. of his experiences, he became more kind and became more um, willing to accept the misfits because he knows how it feels to be in a house where you don't feel like you fit or that you're kind of being an outcast. Um, yeah. It makes me under like this, my favorite things to think about is like the what ifs. Like what if obviously Harry had to, it was at, at the Dursleys because of the protection that Lily um, provides him. Right. Um, but if he was to be dropped off into a magical family, when he gets to Hogwarts and at that moment of like a choice, whether or not you continue to be friends with Ron or you shake the hand of Draco Malfoy. I always question like what, like what would that choice have been different than if he was uh, brought up in a different situation? And obviously there's no way to know that, but it's just fun to think about. 
we're not. And I, I keep comparing to horrible things, but, like, you know, I like what you said. Like, there comes a point where, you know, he made the choice to be, like, to look at, take it like I want better for than this. I don't want other people to feel how I feel. Um, and mm-hmm. it's just like saying not every child that's abused will become an abuser or not every yeah. child that, um, you know, if you, just because you watch video games doesn't mean you're and you play like Call of Duty doesn't mean you're going to go shoot up a school. Um, but right. it is a chemical thing as well um, as that nurture part. But it, it is a, a balance in someone um, that is made yeah. up of their genetics and things on whether they can handle it and make that sound decision. Yeah, and also intervention. So, like, there's a study that yep. says that, you know, when, when people are stuck in poverty or stuck in, in situations that are bad, the the indicator of whether they're going to get out of it is if they are intercepted by a teacher that makes a difference in their life or a coach or someone who kind of gives them right. a positive outlook and positive, re, re, you know, affirmation that gets them into the other side. And Hogwarts was that intervention. You know, it it, it provided yep. him with a new part of his identity that was different than what the Dursleys were telling him. And therefore, he kind of gets that intervention. Um, so it, it's a combination yep. of, of the, the chemicals of one's brain, but also if there's anyone else who's going to counter the negative narrative that is being told. And a lot of the serial killers, yep. just to bring it back to that, never got that intervention <laughs> of the counter, you right. know, and, and so they go off and do horrible things. Um, but yeah, yeah, look at, see, we're talking about Harry Potter and we're getting super deep. This is why Love Harry it. Potter is amazing. It's my favorite. <laughs> yeah. And this is just the first book. Easy. Um, <laughs> let's, now, one of the things that's great about the first book compared to the other books is that there is a bit of childlike wonder in it. And obviously there's childlike wonder in all the books, but it gets, you know, progressively more dark and more high stakes as the books go along. This is the book where it's the most like, oh, my God, magic, Um, because you're learning about all these things. So when you were reading about um, Diagon Alley and learning about those aspects of the wizarding world, what was your first impression of it? I could feel Harry's awe like he was so he's like there's a a shop full of owls and rats and cats and there's brooms and there's like when you're reading it you get in there and you're like what would I be like and you can't help but be like I would be just like him I would be so shocked and in awe of everything around me and just be like yes and I feel like at a point he like it clicked like now it makes sense. Like, I didn't match the beat of that world. That yeah. world never really fit. This, Like, I fit here. And so I just, I don't know, I just really, um, I love it because, you know, you, you get to feel it with him because it's all brand new. You haven't mm-hmm. read it. It's all brand new for the first time. You're seeing all the things that this wizarding world entails. And it's exciting. Yeah. You could feel it is exciting. I think that the first time they goes into Diagon Alley, that was when I was convinced, okay, yeah, I, I want to go. I want to be magical. I want to go to Diagon Alley. I want to get ice cream at that ice cream place. I want to go to Zonko's. I want a broom. Like, let's do yeah. this. Let's, let's get this going. Um, you and know it, what? And it's you know, written in a so I live in, descriptive way. 
I just want to say I live in Florida. You live in California, so I don't know. I'm assuming they have a Harry Potter thing out there at Universal. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever been. But, yeah. yeah, so I live in Florida, really close to Orlando, and I've been to – I've only been to half it. I haven't been to the second half because I'm not a big fan of Universal, honestly. But I've been to half of it, and, like, walking in there, I imagine that's what it was like walking in for Harry. Like, seeing all the things, yes. seeing the train – Seeing the shop, getting the cauldron cakes and the chocolate frogs, like it was like you walked into a magical world. And like drinking the butter beer, the frozen kind's better than the non-frozen kind. By the way, um, it is like it's, it's I don't definitely. know. I felt that awe, so it's kind of cool that we got that experience. Yes, I yes, I, I've been to the Universal in LA and also in Florida. I like the LA one better because it's smaller. So it feels more quaint. And I got inebriated in the leaky cauldron drinking fire whiskey. <laughs> and we had to <laughs> get kicked out awesome. at closing time. It was great. Like, that's like, oh, that, I didn't want to leave. It basically, like, everyone else is like, I want to go on, like, Indiana Jones. I want to go on blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, I'm just going to stay And you're like, here I just want to like... say I got drunk in the leaky cauldron. <laughs> I love great. that it was so much. Night. That's going to go on my bucket list. Get drunk at the Leaky Cauldron on the bucket list. Yes. And, like, the the, the, the people who worked there were, like, coming out and giving us more things. Like, they were doing different, like, recipes and stuff. And so they were, like, here's some extra stuff. We made friends with everyone. It was great. Um, I would awesome. not do that in the Florida one. The Florida one is way too overcrowded to um, yeah, be able to really fully enjoy it. Um, but it was fun. Um, so for so after going to Diagon Alley, obviously you go into Hogwarts, and then he gets sorted. Mm-hmm. Um, now, which house are you? What house do you belong to, Kristen? Okay, so I'm a little this um this irritates me, and not because I didn't like it. So back in the day when Pottermore first came out, I sorted myself right, and I yeah. did it twice over the course of like the first like two years. And the first time I got Slytherin, and that was, like, my moody B-word days, right? I call it 2010, Kristen, even though it it was probably around then. I don't even remember. Yeah, it was, like, I was very, like, you knew me. I was, like, mousy and, like, don't come at me. I was very, like, early 20s, right? Um, And so I got Slytherin. And then, like, a year later, I redid it, and I got Ravenclaw. No, Gryffindor, okay. or Gryffindor, right? So just I like in the past Gryffindor. year or so, right. So the past year or so, I did it again with my daughter because my profile hadn't been used, so it got deleted, right? So I did it again. And I got Hufflepuff. So apparently in my old age, I'm soft. <laughs> That's how I look at this. And I, know, I still think you're right. Through, I would bet. Yeah. No, I'm but it gave me Hufflepuff, and I was like, What? You're, I could see that. Yeah, I'm a I think my secondary is a Hufflepuff for sure. Um, but yeah, you're just soft. I, you're just yeah. like not soft like in a bad way, but just like I'm like I never look at myself as soft, but like gentle, like I've, you know, not soft like man, you're weak, but like you know, gentle. And I'm just I've not never seen myself to fight that way. all the battles. Yeah, but I think yeah, you're, you're, I need you're to fight all like the battles. Accurate. 
But it's true. Like, that's why it's really hard. Like, especially when I was 11, I'm not sure what I would have been at 11. Like, a little ADHD kid running around, probably more Gryffindor. <laughs> um, but, like, like, I could do it all. It's like, how does one, how does one deter, like, identity get solidified by a sorting hat at 11? It's, it's, it's a weird concept, but I've been Ravenclaw yeah, it since. It's a weird concept now that you mentioned college. it. Okay. Um, I've been Ravenclaw. That makes sense. So, so you apparently had a lot of changes. <laughs> apparently, I went from Slytherin to Hufflepuff. And nothing against Hufflepuff. <laughs> I just don't see myself as this gentle, quiet person. And that's how I've always viewed Hufflepuff. Not like weak or anything. They're just like gentle creatures, you know, gentle people. And yeah. I don't, like, I'm not a coddler. Like, if you cry in front of me, I get really uncomfortable, and I probably will laugh because my body has a weird reaction. Like, I just don't see myself a Hufflepuff at all, <laughs> just because I'm not. I don't Every feel model. gentle in the slightest. I'm, like, the most <laughs> blunt person, and, like, you say something, and I'm like, no, I'm not. I don't like that. Don't do that. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. Um, another really interesting thing um, in in this particular book is the mirror of Erised and the idea of it. So the mirror of Erised obviously is you look into it and you see what you want the most in the world. And so for Harry, it's to see his family and kind of have that belonging. For Ron, it's to be special because he's in a, a large family um, and feels a bit overlooked. Um, and so... I, I think as me as a teenager, I probably would have saw something similar to Ron because <laughs> I was a, I had an older brother who um, I was compared with quite a bit. Um, and then with the mirror, but uh, what do you think you would have, would have seen as a younger person? Not now, because you don't need to share a deep secret. <laughs> At 11, I would have seen myself married to a backstreet boy. Um, no lie. <laughs> <laughs> so... Yes. So I'm like, this is the thing. I'm like, I agree. Like when you mentioned that, like, how do you get sorted based on your personality at 11? And I'm like, maybe it's like mm-hmm. what, like it knows you. It knows your like innermost. Like, are you brave? Are you cunning? Are you, you know, super wise? Like maybe like you can read that. But like all I can think is if I looked into that mirror, uh, there'd be a Backstreet Boy and um, like a mansion so I don't know how anything else. Like, I wouldn't have been like, I'm hanging out with my mom. Nope. I'd have been like, my mom's not in the picture. I'm driving my Mercedes. Nope. It's fine. Yeah. I think that's legit. Very to a backstreet boy. Um, yeah. Which, uh, the question is, the mirror of Era said, is it something that we'd actually want to see? Or is it something that, like Harry, we keep coming back to and it can be very, very dangerous? I think it's dangerous in general. Like, I don't think people mm-hmm. should be able to know the future because it would definitely change your thought process. Um, and they, Great. you know, to to want something that you might never get. Like, just because I really want something, especially at 11, um, there's no guarantee whatsoever that that would ever happen. And so I think mm-hmm. that says something as well. Like, um, you know, I the I think it's a terrible idea. And I, I get where Dumbledore says, you know, we're going to move this. It's not going to be here because that's a, mm-hmm. one. I mean, there's other reasons, obviously, but 
that's it can be dangerous because just because it shows you're never he's never going to get to hang out with his family unless he's dead and he believes that there's an afterlife yeah that's why Dumbledore's quote it it does not do to dwell on dreams and forget to live remember that it's a very important idea even without the mirror of error said because there are definitely I'm sure you know some people who talk about the future so much <laughs> and you're yeah. like well what are you doing now about it like <laughs> like you're yeah, talking like, about all these amazing like it's things. cool to set 10-year like, goals but what are you doing tomorrow it's now <laughs> yeah you yeah. don't want to sit around and find um, out and 10 years has passed and you've done nothing exactly um and so i i think that definitely that is the the mirror bear said is that is that lesson of don't get obsessive about the future that you forget to do the things that will either because I mean like what I wanted when I was 11 is very different than what I want now um and I imagine that what I want in 10 years now is going to be different than what I want now so like it doesn't like I really want a new vacuum I definitely (laughs) didn't want a new vacuum at 11 so just saying like I get really excited about about, weird stuff now yep it's true like I want an air fryer (laughs) Right, um, I'm like, that looks amazing. I want to make that. <laughs> definitely, definitely true. All right, so me and Kristen have come up with kind of three scenes and flash characters of this book um, that we kind of want to highlight a little bit. Um, so, Kristen, mm-hmm. you want to share one of yours? Sure. So one of mine, let's see. Um I'm going to go with my the first happy moment in the book, in my opinion, and it's when Hagrid shows up at the little house in the middle of the storm on the island, breaks the door down on accident, and he's there to wish Harry a happy birthday and pick him up to take him to get school stuff. And I just love it because he's so – Hagrid is like this giant lovable bear. Like right off the bat, he just assumes everyone likes him. Like, he's just like, yeah, I'm here. Sorry about the door. Um, Can I sit here? Do you have, like, can I light this fire for you? And, like, he's just so chill. Um, And even when they're like, get out, he's like, what are you talking about? Hi, Harry, how are you? He's just so lovable. And I really think that that was the first moment where Harry was like, wow, someone's nice to me. Someone's not nice to the Dursleys because they're mean to me. And because they treated me so poorly, they're mad at the Dursleys for doing it. Nobody's ever been mad at the Dursleys for treating him poorly, um, which can be devastating to a child as well as not just the treatment, but the fact that nobody is saying anything about that treatment. So yeah, I really for like sure. that. I love Hagrid's personality. And it's that first moment where he's like, what do you mean I'm a wizard? What do you mean my parents were killed trying to be brave? Like, it was the whole moment everything changed for him, and I just love that scene. And I love Hagrid's like complete crazy, like I don't care what anyone thinks moment. Yeah, for sure, it's such a pivotal scene, not just for the book, for for the entire series. Um, and also, and it was just fun, just Dudley as, a tale. Yeah. Yes, and that's what I was about to say. But also seeing. The, the bad people, which is the Dursleys, kind of get a little bit of, you know, some karma being thrown their way yeah. magically. Um, and 
um, and and Harry being kind of saved from that horrible situation with the Dursleys. So it's such a great great moment. Um, and then I'm gonna have you guys have you talk about your second moment just to stay chronological. Um, so what else is your yeah. uh, your favorite moment? We we kind of talked about it, but the first trip to Diagon Alley. Um, I mm-hmm. think that that wonder that, oh, my gosh, how did I not know this world existed? And that moment where, I mean, they don't really talk about it even in the book, but I there's just yeah. a sense that he finally feels like, one, people care. Like, what do you mean my parents left me a bunch of money so I wasn't poor? You know, uh, what do you mean I get to go mm-hmm. to this school and live there and I don't have to live at the Dursleys all year? Like, all these yeah. amazing feelings and his like his life clicking into where it should be that he found his place and now he understands so i just i just love that feeling that part of the book gives you for sure and i think the two that you captured and the next one that i'm going to provide really captures what the first book is about which is just kind of opening harry's eyes but not just harry's eyes but our eyes to this whole new world of um, magic and how there's yep. shopping that's magic and there's uh, mail that's magic and then there's Hogwarts itself, yeah. the school that teaches people how to be wizards and witches um, one of my favorite scenes and we just talked about it a little bit in terms of like the philosophy of the sorting hat but I thought the sorting hat ceremony was super interesting because everyone was super nervous yep. about it, which I was, I was thinking about it, like, right. 11, you're where am I going to get something. Um, right. Just that nervousness. But I also really like how Harry, it wasn't clear-cut. It wasn't like the sorting hat was like Gryffindor, that there was right. a choice involved, in that he could have gone Slytherin, he could have gone Gry- Gryffindor. And I think most of us, probably fit in that, right? Fit in that category of, well, I could see Hufflepuff in you, but I could also see that. I think most of us are complex. Um, and then the choice that you make or the most inner parts of you is what the sorting hat sees. Um, and he, he gets it right. I mean, Neville is a Gryffindor. It takes you a while to, um, to see him as a Gryffindor, <laughs> but he totally is. Yeah. Um, and then also Hermione, most people would have seen that she was Ravenclaw based on her her work ethic at school. Um, but she's also very Gryffindor. Right. Um, so you start to see the complexities of it. But this is really the first time that we see it. And it has always been a moment that really sticks into my mind. Um, and then my other one is just the end of the book itself where um, – each of the trio, Ron, Hermione, and Harry, um, they go through the series of things to get to Professor Quirrell slash Voldemort, who they think is Snape. Um, and what I really like about this is that it really shows the strength. So obviously Hermione does well with the potions, the logic test, that was her bread and butter. Um, Harry does well with the flying and capturing um, the key, and then of course Ron, his time to shine was the the chess game, um, where he um, takes control of the chess game. He uses his strategy, he uses his loyalty um, to make a sacrifice of himself. And as an eleven year old, he thought he was going to die. Obviously, we, he didn't, but he thought he was. Um, and um, in order for 
Harry to get into the next um, level so he can try to stop Snape from doing evil things, which is, you know, what we know is Voldemort. Um, I really liked it. And also, because I am on a crusade um, to always defend Ron <laughs> against yes. the movies, you have made it stu- made him stupid. Uh, the devil snare scene. So in the movie, in the devil snares, it's Ron going, ah, and like freaking out. And then like Hermione handles everything. But this is actually the real thing that happens. Okay. Hermione panics. She stops using her brain for a bit. Ron says, have you gone mad? Ron bellowed, are you a witch or not? Oh, right, said Hermione. And she whipped out her wand and waved it. It was a team effort. It was not Ron screaming like a banshee. Case. Yeah, they do make, and you know, I feel like, I, so there's like a whole debate about, spoiler if you haven't read the last one. Um, So Ron and Hermione end up together. And so there's some people that are like, that should never have happened. And I will say I'm one of them just because like, Ron is by no means stupid at all. Um, no, he's not I just don't see them. I love them together. Don't get me wrong. But, like, in real life, I'm like, would they have? Like, I can't picture a world where in real life they ended up together just because, like, Well, I'm about to blow your mind. And Are you ready for this? Okay, but I love books and Sudoku and crosswords and Jeopardy. So I would never get with somebody who is like, I just, that's maybe a bad comparison, but like, I feel like they're so opposite in their really true likes that it, like, I, sometimes opposites attract, I don't know. My, my mom is Hermione and my dad is Ron. Their relationship is exactly Ron and Hermione. They, their fighting is flirting and it makes me really uncomfortable. (laughs) Like, I went over to my parents' house and they had a fight about a toaster. And I was like, okay, I'm going to leave so you guys can do whatever the heck you want to do because I'm, just, I'm disgusted. Um, but the thing that they have in common, the thing that any relationship needs to have in common is that they're good people and they want to make a difference in the world and they're loyal and they take care of each other. For interest, most people don't have 100% interest. Um, oh, and no. Ron is but I will say what I do- intelligent super intelligent yeah and what i do love about them is where one of them lacks the other one holds the candle for them you know like yes. where hermione's super book smart ron is a little bit more like street smart you know like like so i feel like they do balance each other out in that aspect and that can be super yes. useful for sure um and, but, yes, so when, when people will tell me about Ron and Hermione don't work, and I'm like, my mom, my parents have been together since 1969. They've been together for a long time. And the magic is wow. that my been dad a makes long time. my mom. Yeah, my dad makes my mom laugh, which is good because my dad mom has a tendency of overthinking, much like Hermione. So she's and you. My dad can be, and my dad can be very insensitive sometimes. And my mom teaches him to be more diplomatic. They're a good team. Um, so I see that with Ron. You are a good team. Well. And you are your mother. I mean, you're also I am, I'm probably dad, a mix. You are your my, mother. I think when I'm it comes a to overthinking. 
I'm pretty good mix of my parents. But yes, overthinking is definitely my my mom and the inability to follow social norms for my dad. <laughs> but, you know. Um all right. So, what who is your favorite character of the book? Who stole source or sorcerer's stone? Uh Hagrid hands down for me stole sorcerer's stone. He is amazing. Um, I think he really brings that light that Harry really needed. And I think, again, that's like that turning point where there's this guy who doesn't care about any bad thing I've ever done. Anything, any poor choice Harry makes in the first book, Hagrid's there and, like, it's okay, you know. Um, And he's basically like a father figure that, or, like, even like an older brother that Harry doesn't have. And, uh that so I just think I just think he's perfect in this movie or book not movie book although I do love Hagrid in the movie too yeah for me it's Dumbledore so I wouldn't Dumbledore in this book made me think so much (laughs) thinking about overthinking because he has so many great quotes that make you go like what in this like in this movie it's just it's it's all super good so for like one is there are all kinds of courage, the Dumbledore smiling. It takes a great deal of bravery to stand up to our enemies, but just as much to stand up to our friends. And I'm like, oh my God, that's so true. And then Dumbledore says the truth, Dumbledore side, is a beautiful and terrible thing and should therefore be treated with great caution. However, I shall answer your questions unless I have a very good reason not to, in which case I beg you'll forgive me. I shall not, of course, lie which is, I think, a very interesting, and a lot of adults do that, but they don't necessarily make it visible like he did. And we know later on how much he was keeping from, and then we can argue about whether or not that was a good idea. Um, And then after all, to the well-organized mind, death is but the next great adventure. He's just like one amazing quote after the next in this book. He is. He has Um, a lot. I once made a pumpkin for Halloween with his light, his light, quote yeah like so like in in terms of this book i think dumbledore steals it when it comes to the wisdom which is why i am a ravenclaw and i guess maybe you really are a hufflepuff because you choose haggard because he was friendly (laughs) (laughs) i agree i just love haggard i'm Um, sorry dumbledore's amazing but haggard won this book Oh yeah, and the other books, I I'm not gonna pick Dumbledore, so it we'll see what happens with that. Um, so, Kristen, you had a, a couple of things to say about the audiobooks. I do. So again, I I recently started listening through the audiobooks, and they're like nine hours each. Um, but I do a lot of driving; it's thirty minutes each way to work. Um, and so, uh, I get a lot done fast. So I'm actually on the third book right now. Um, So I recently just, I mean, I get through them in like 10 days. So just not even a month ago finished the the Philosopher's Stone. (laughs) And um, I got to say, it's the the guy that's doing the voice. It's not Stephen Fry. It's like Jim, I forget his name, Jim something. They're from Pottermore, though. They're really good. Um, The guy does... Uh, that might be it. I'll look while I'm talking. 
Um, so he does really good voices. Like McGonagall's voice is spot on, and it's insane to me. I'm like, how are you doing that? But there's a couple things that I don't like, and one of the main things is um, it's Jim Dale. Uh, one of the main things that I don't love is his Hermione. Like, I don't like Hermione in the book, in the audio book, because she is so whiny. Like, when he talks like her, and you know what, he does it for Ginny, too. So I'm wondering if it's just like a, he has a preconceived notion about, teen, like, teenage girls. Um, <laughs> probably. And it's, it's so funny because um, I'm going to try to replicate this. He's like, Harry, why are you doing that? Everything, like, it's telling oh my God. Like, Harry, oh. And I'm like, you make yourself so whiny. Stop it. She's a know-it-all. She's not whiny. And so, like, every time she talks and, and like, she'll talk, like, she'll talk to McGonagall and she'll be like, I'm so sorry, Professor. And I'm like, stop it. <laughs> so all the characters yeah, are terrible. fantastic. Yeah, Snape's a little weird just because in my mind is beaten in. Yeah, it's not Allison. Snape from book. It's, you know, actor from movie. Um, and he did so well. So that, that's the voice I hear, and it doesn't match the book. But the other ones are, like, spot on, and it's so weird. So if, you, if you're that's ever awesome. interested, he does voices. It's really fantastic. Um, it's not just, like, somebody reading you a book with no inflection or anything. It's really interesting to read or listen to someone read it to you. So you should try it. Definitely. Um, and then just well, I think for this one, there's not too many things to dissect when it comes to the movies. We'll probably have more in the other books. Um, because would you agree with me, Kristen, that probably Sorcerer's Stone is probably the most literal representation of the books out of all of the movies? Yeah, there's there's not that much that didn't happen. It's like little things that don't take away from yeah. the biggest story. Yeah, I think for the most part, everything that was big was in it. The casting was great. I wasn't, I, I didn't have any anger or anything. I think the only thing that I ever got angry about was um, Steve Clovis, who's the, the main writer of the movies, really loves Hermione and despises Ron. And you can see that in <laughs> in the writing throughout the whole maybe, which I will probably be talking about every single episode, so just be ready for that. Um, but in terms of characterization of other characters and, and the way that they made everything look, it was pretty legit. That's awesome. Yeah. I think we, I, yeah, we did. I think we needed the full 90 minutes. <laughs> Oh, definitely. We can't. There's no way we're fitting 30 minutes of a book of Harry no. Potter. There's no way. Nope. Not at all. But it is now time for nerdy obsession. So what's going on with your nerdy obsession, Kristen? Um. So everyone knows I like Sudoku because I talk about it like every other episode. That's my nerdy obsession. I was at the dollar store the other day and I bought two more Sudoku books. Um, and this is literally 
Sunday, right? And I am on puzzle 35 mm-hmm. of one of the books. Um, keep in mind, I have two other unfinished Sudoku books, but I did finish a whole Sudoku book, you guys. I've never finished one in my life. You know how it's kind of like chapstick, you lose it? Well, I finished a whole book. Go me. Go you. That is so. pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, that mine I've been reading a lot more than normal. That's good. Sorry. That means we'll recommend more things to you guys. I'm also reading more more often than normal lately. Um, my nerdy obsession is National Geographic History Magazine. I finally renewed my subscription after like three years. <laughs> and I got my first issue, and I read through it. I learned about the ancient Athens plague and the Tulsa riots and all sorts of things. So I'm really nerding out with that. Um, just to show you my true Ravenclaw world, I just love learning about things. It's just, it's, it's fun for me. Um, so that's my nerdy obsession that will happen every two months when I get yes, a new one. love that. You know, if you happen to get Apple One, which is, like, they're all-inclusive subscription to, like, music and fitness and everything, it's cheaper than having everything by itself. Like, I have Apple TV, fitness, all the things, right? Um, right. You get access to all the magazines on the Apple News app and National Geographic is one of them. It's the digital cool. copy, I like it's the same thing. I The pictures, are physical copies. Yeah, I like the pictures. Like, 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 I'm else. looking at an iPad. It looks legit. So. The pictures, and it smells. That magazine uh, smell. Magazine. Yeah, I'm with you. All right, All right you win. And it's a good quality. It's not like a thin page. It's like a thick, glossy page. Yeah, it's good. Agreed. All right. <laughs> All right, well, we want your feedback on what to discuss in the world of nerdum. Please give us your feedback um, and follow us at talknerdy underscore radio. We would love to hear from you. Make sure you bookmark www.nerdprobs.com for articles, blogs, and reviews. Uh, join our book club on Facebook called Just One More Chapter so you can get the information for book clubs with a Z um, so you can read along with us. Um, and next week, me and Kristen will be back on Thursday on June 10th, 2021. Um, and we're going to be spotlighting independent artists um, for music um, that maybe don't get as much love as they should. So we're going to be spotlighting some artists next week, and I'm excited for that. Um, so we'll see you on Thursday. Yay, bye.